and amen. Good morning, City Light. How we doing? Good morning, good morning. There's, there's a less in my way, so I can just, you know, right at you now. Joe, you want to move this down? Hold on. There we go. Great. All right, hey, yesterday we had our Christmas store, which was awesome. Praise the Lord. Served a bunch of families. Told them about Jesus. With blessing and word indeed. Thank you for serving. Thank you for buying gifts. That's a great thing we're able to do every year. Uh, able to meet a lot of new families. Schools refer them over here. So a lot of times people show up here who have never really been to this church. Um, and a lot of times don't go to church at all. So what a great opportunity to be able to show the love of Jesus. So I'm just encouraged by your generosity. Thanks for serving. Thanks for giving. Also, one more thing I want to let you know, and we've talked a little bit about it, but next semester starts what we're calling our City Light School of Missions, which is an opportunity for people to give themselves full-time to biblical training and to missional, local, and global efforts for a semester at a time. And so we're going to start running this program in the spring and in the fall. But we also wanted to do was, so not only can you commit to that full-time, so you're like, man, I just want to give four months of my life to local, global missions and to biblical training in these things. We'd love to have you, but also we wanted to see how can we make this as available as possible to people. So we even have a professor from Liberty, a very distinguished professor who's going to be teaching some of these courses. I mean, I'm telling you, the training is going to be top notch, okay? It's going to be excellent. And that's going to be available to you as well. So we just have multiple opportunities. If you say, man, I can't, obviously I have to work or I have to do this or that, or I can't go to overseas for a month. There are opportunities to get trained to come uh, audit a course, so to speak, in apologetics, how to defend your faith, and Bible survey, and spiritual formation, all of these things. So we wanted to make this next level of training available to you. Those courses will be held in the mornings. And so if you're uh, available at all to come and participate with us, we just want to offer that to you. So Maria's going to be in the lobby after the service. If you want to give yourself fully to a program for a semester, or if you just say, hey, I can make it a couple days a week. I would love to learn more about the Bible or how to defend my faith. We also want to make that available to you. You. Or if you say, man, my schedule's pretty flexible. I could spend a month in Mexico with you guys. I can't do the whole thing, but I could go do that. Uh, you could do that as well. So bits and pieces of it are available. We'd love to make that accessible to you. So Maria's going to be in the lobby. If you're interested at all, even learning about it, say, I can't do it in the spring, but maybe in the fall, man, please, please, please check that out. Uh, we, it's part of our effort to raise up an army of people who know their faith and who are passionate to share the gospel. That's what we're all about here. And so we'd love to see you as much as you can participate in that. So today we're starting our Advent series, and we're excited to be able to focus in on this. It's called The Offer on the Table. So just like in Godfather, I want to make you an offer that you cannot refuse, okay? That's the goal this morning. I know many of you have been on Facebook Marketplace making offers to people, trying to find presents for your friends, family, and kids uh, a lot cheaper than you can on Amazon. I've been doing a lot of that myself as well. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. How many times have you shown up somewhere to get something that you saw online and the reality doesn't match what you saw? How many times have you bought something from Amazon and you didn't see that it's actually a mini version of the real thing? And you didn't like see the size. Everything looks the same size on a computer screen. How many times has this happened to me where it's not what I thought that I was getting? You know, what's really, really fun is when someone's excited and they say, I have something, I have a surprise for you. And then the surprise is not a surprise at all. It's not fun or exciting. And then you have to pretend like it's something that you like to have. How many times does that happen? Or my favorite is watching a kid open a gift they don't like. 
This is just the best. I have some of my best Christmas memories are watching kids open up gifts they don't like. They have two choices. They either, like a lot of kids, are extremely honest and say it out loud that they're glad, they're mad that they got this present, you know. I'll never forget one of my nephews opened this gift from, I think it was from his parents and then, and he just opened it up and it was a pair of red pants and he screamed out, red pants? Like, why in the world, I'm like eight years old, why are you giving me red pants? Or sometimes kids try to pretend like they like it, but they're not very good at that, you know? They're not. So you can see, like, they're trying to be a good kid, but they don't like it at all. How often has this happened in our lives for we get offered things that we don't really like or things get given to us that we don't like, or we go spend money on things and they don't turn out to be exactly what we thought it would be. Well, I want you to know in the kingdom that Jesus is totally different, that what Jesus offers you will be better than you could ever have imagined that you'll never open up the gift, so to speak, that Jesus wants to give you, and it be less than what you hope for. That Jesus will never show up and say, I have something for you, and you get it, and say, huh, that's not exactly what I wanted. It might appear like that sometimes at first, but Jesus always comes through. The, the idea of Christmas is that Jesus has come to offer us something. Jesus has come to give us something. Jesus has come to put an offer on the table. And the idea is this Christmas that you can either receive the offer that Jesus places on the table. And we're going to go over four things Jesus wants to give you this Christmas. Hope, peace, joy, and purpose. These are four things God wants to give you this Christmas. Either renewal, like to give it to you again, to remind you that these things that you have in Jesus, or maybe for some of you to give it to you for the very first time, that you're looking for hope and all these things in all the wrong places. And Jesus is making you an offer that I pray you cannot refuse. What I want to let you know is that whatever Jesus offers you, he will make good on. And as we talk about these different things that he's going to give you, it will surely be better than you ever could have imagined. And so the first offer on the table we're going to talk about is hope, is hope. And what I know is that Christmas is supposed to be a season of hope, a season of gladness, a season of anticipation. We know that that's how it's supposed to feel. Yet the reality is for many of us, it actually does the exact opposite. You may be sitting here and thinking, I know I'm supposed to be full of hope. It's Christmas, but I'm actually full of hopelessness. I know I'm supposed to be full of anticipation, but I'm actually full of anxiety. I know I'm supposed to be full of excitement, but I'm actually full of despair. And I want to just meet you in that moment this morning, and I want Jesus to meet you in that moment this morning and to remind you that Christmas is a reminder that God can turn things around. And really, Christmas is a reminder that God can do what appears impossible to us. And so the, the, the idea of this message this morning is that you and I can have hope precisely because we have a God who's able to do the impossible. And wherever you feel like things are breaking down and unable to be restored, and wherever you feel like you should have hope but you don't, I want to remind you that you have a God who is able to meet you in that place and to do the impossible. Christmas is a sign that God can do the impossible. So let's go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Let's go. All right. We're going to hear from the Lord this morning and tell you the Christmas story. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read through 38. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And virgin, the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one which is a really funny phrase for a scary angel to use when he shows up, you know? It's like this thing of like, oh, 
oh, you know, and it's like, oh, greetings. You know, that's probably not, Mary seems pretty terrified. Greetings, oh, favor one, the Lord is with you. But like any of us would be, she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Is this good news? Is this bad news? You know, I don't know. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Seems like a pretty relevant question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, This is like an evidence to her that this is true. And her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, here it is. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We're going to spend some of our time focusing on verse 37. But what I, what I hope to build for you today, okay, is a hope sandwich, all right? I want to build a little hope sandwich, okay? I have three ways I'm going to do that. The first is we're going to build a foundation of the reality that all things are possible with God. This is what you need to have hope, a foundation that God is able to do the impossible. All things are possible with God. But the second, the real meat of hope is the character and the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that our hope is not ultimately in an outcome or a way of life or certain things that happen to us on earth. Our hope is not an idea or a philosophy or a way of life. Our hope is in a person and his name is Jesus. And third, the way we're going to wrap this thing up is to talk about what does our response look like? Like Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. When we live that way, we seal the reality of Jesus in our life and in our heart. We're going to learn that hope comes with trust. And so those are the three ways that we're going to form hope in our hearts and our lives this morning. Create a foundation. Everything's possible with God. The meat of the sandwich is the character, the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's the substance of hope. And the third thing is to make sure we have our response correctly, that we're submitted to the will and the way of God. So the first thing is that everything is possible with God. I'm going to call this hope in the power of God. The first place of hope is I put my hope in the power of God. I need to put my hope in the power of God. The the verse here says, for nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And you and I both know that our hope or lack of hope is in accordance with what we think is possible or not possible. So you have hope because you think something is possible or you don't have hope because you think something is impossible. Some of you are engaged and ready to be married and the possibility of having a companion is near and it feels very hopeful. Some of you just broke up with somebody and you feel like it's impossible to get married. Your prospects are telling you what you feel like is possible. You feel like it's impossible to ever have what I want and so I feel hopeless. And some of you feel like it's very possible to have what I want and therefore I feel full of hope. The other day I was trying to put the Christmas lights up on. I have these couple little trees in front of my house. They look like Christmas trees. I don't know what you call them, but they look like Christmas trees. They have the shape of a Christmas tree. They're near the road. I thought, man, wouldn't this be cool if I could create Christmas lights around them on the outside? And so I was trying to take my Christmas light decorations to the next level. And I went out to the front and I realized how much taller this tree is than me. 
And at first, I, I wrapped the bottom, and I thought, maybe I can just sling it around, you know, like a rope, and just get it up to the top. And I thought, well, that doesn't work. Then I went, and I got a chair, and I stood on the chair, about fell over, and I could only get up halfway. That didn't work. Well, I have a ladder, you know, it's not a big ladder, but it's a ladder, I don't know, something. It's taller than me, maybe like eight feet tall. I have a ladder, and I got on the ladder, and I got up as high as I could, but also the ladder wasn't working as well as I needed it to. Either it got me a little more than halfway. I realized after a while that all the things I tried could only get the tree halfway lit. And then I had a decision to make. Was this good enough or not, you know? Is it good enough to have it done or not? Eventually, though, I got very frustrated and got hopeless, realizing that there is nothing I could possibly do within the things that I had to actually cover this tree. I used all my potential resources. I ran out of ideas. I'm only so tall. I didn't want to go buy more equipment. And so it is what it is. I became hopeless and I eventually gave up because it wasn't worth doing anymore. And I want you to know that's often how we feel in our lives because we're attempting to live a certain way. We're attempting to accomplish certain things, but we're unable to do so in our own strength and our resources. And that causes us to eventually become hopeless and give up. I know many of you are in that phase of life this morning where you feel like, man, I have exhausted all my potential ways of living. I have exhausted my abilities. I have exhausted my resources and I can only get the lights up half this dumb tree and it still doesn't look like what I want it to look. My life still doesn't look like what I want it to look. The outcomes of my life still are not there like I want them to be. I am simply unable to accomplish it. You get to the point of giving up because you're hopeless. And what I want to do is meet you right there in that place to remind you in your life that God is a God of the impossible. That what you cannot do in your own resources, in your own strength, and with your own abilities, God can do with a snap of a finger, with a word from his mouth. You see how it says here that he's he's talking to Mary. Now remember the, the background of this is pretty extreme. Mary's a young teenager who's never been with a man before, and she's supposed to get pregnant. That seems pretty impossible. You know, if somebody came to you today and said, well, I just got pregnant, don't know how, you'd say, that seems pretty impossible. It seems pretty impossible. We know how that works. But Mary said, I'm going to be pregnant. That's impossible. And then God says, well, look, not only are you a virgin and a teenager, you're, 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 you, it's impossible for you right now. Not only is that the case, but hey, I have a relative, Elizabeth, she's old and barren. So another problem. First, you have a young virgin, and then you have an old barren lady. And God uses the young virgin and the old barren lady to bring to pass the two most important people in this story. I mean, why does he do that? So John the Baptist is the one who comes from Elizabeth, who was old and barren and without child. It seemed like her time of childbearing was gone and that it was impossible for her to do that. God works through the impossible, gives birth to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one who prepares the way for Jesus, who was born of a virgin. And you see, what does the text say? He says, I'm doing this with you, Mary, just like this. And I'm doing this with Elizabeth, just like this. He explains it. Why would God do it like that? Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. God's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point. He's doing it this way precisely to make this one singular point that nothing is impossible with God. And at the very point you feel like things are limited and unable to cross, God is at that very point the one who is able to take it further. 
The whole point is that what's impossible with you is possible with God. The point of Christmas and the way God writes the Christmas story is to remind you of his supernatural capabilities in the midst of your natural limitations. God wants to bring hope to you because precisely at the point at which you fail and are unable to make good on your life is exactly the point at which God can help. The reasons you feel hopeless are because of you or because of those around you or because of the situations that you have on earth. What happens then is the hope of an impossible doing supernatural working God comes into those places and reminds you, I ought not to fix my eyes on what I can do. I ought not to fix my eyes, like we talked about a few weeks ago, on the diminishing resources around me. I ought not to give my attention to the things that aren't working out. And may I remember this morning that God is God of the impossible. That's what God wants to show you. He does this all throughout the Bible. This is very normal with God. This is the way he loves to talk. This is the way he loves to do things. Mark 10, 27, he says, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For, say it with me. Can you read this with some, some zeal? All things are possible with God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, nothing's impossible with God. Come on. Somebody needs to believe this this morning. Say, I don't know. Nothing is impossible with God. How about this? A same situation, Abram's wife, Sarah, too old to get pregnant. God has made a promise that he is going to bring to pass the Messiah through the seed of Abraham, but Abraham has no child. And now he had this situation by promise. And he's telling Sarah, Sarah, you're going to get pregnant and have the, ch- the promised child. In uh, Genesis chapter 18, 14, he says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah's like, there's no way it could happen like that. And God responds to her doubt like he wants to respond to your doubt this morning by saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? You say, well, there's no way that person could come back. Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's no way this marriage could get restored. Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's no way my body could be healed. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And most importantly, you might say, there's no way all my sins could be forgiven. And God would say, is anything too hard for the Lord? You need to meet your doubt with God's power. It's not about overcoming your doubt with yourself. It's about overcoming your doubt by remembering who God is, what God can do. Nothing is too hard for God. And he does things on purpose all throughout the Bible to make this one point. Why is it that he keeps making barren women have babies of promise? Why does he do it that way? To make the point. There are no barriers to God. There is nothing that God cannot overcome. God is sovereign and God is able. And this is good news for us. I want to remind you always of the supernatural basis of our faith, that we should be the kind of people who believe these things. That there's a, there's a God who spoke all things that I see into existence. He didn't put in the work. He didn't grind it out. He said a few words and everything I see exists. That's a baseline of creation. There's a God in heaven who's ruling over every single life and is aware of every single moment and is writing a story together with 8 billion different people who rules over the waves in the sea and the actions of every animal and and who, who every leader gets appointed by the sovereignty of God. He is orchestrating all these things together. A God who is aware of all things in history, a God who is overviewing and overriding everything that happens now. He's sitting in 
heaven on a throne, ruling over an entire kingdom of earth. This is what God is doing right now. How about a God who's redeeming and taking all the bad things that have ever happened and rewriting them to turn into good things so that we could be saved? A God who became a man and died on a cross out of love for me. There's a God who could have stayed in heaven but chose to become a man and stub his toe and have a hurt stomach and then get whipped on the back, a crown of thorns on the head, a spear in the side. He chose to die on a cross to bear all the wrath of God on himself. He chose to do that out of love. That's a crazy story. That's a crazy story. A God who not only died for me, but rose from the dead, and by rising from the dead, completely destroyed death, sin, and hell. This is crazy. A God who loves me enough to do that. A God who can forgive all of my sins, past, present, and future. At the very things I'm ashamed of the most is at the very point in which God's love works the most. God can overcome any bad thing I have ever done. He is able to forgive me of all my sins. This is the cross is sufficient for me. How about a God who not only loves me, who came down from heaven, who's ruling over the whole world, who died and rose again for me, but a God who is making a home for me in heaven, who says that he is working together all things for my good. Eventually he's going to bring me into a place that has been hand tailor made for me. This is what God says that he is doing. A God who now the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in my heart and in my life. A God who has changed my mind, changed my direction, and changed my life. Is he not able? If he can do all of these things, is he not able? When you think about the context of your faith and you say, if God is able to do these things and now I place the sovereignty of God in the challenge of my life, I need to speak with faith or say, is God not able? This is really difficult for me, but it's not hard for God. What feels impossible to me is possible to God. What would take me years of hard work takes God one word. And at the places where I feel like it is impossible are the very places in which God wants to tell me he is able. Hope is a byproduct of the world of possibilities and realizing that God is a God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. It will not be too hard for the Lord to bring you out of that pit. It will not be too hard for the Lord to restore the broken things of your life. It will not be too hard for the Lord to satisfy you in the midst of darkest places. It will not be too hard for the Lord to solve the greatest challenges of your life. It is certainly not too hard for the Lord to lead and guide you in the way you should go. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. You need to believe that for your present situation the things that are making you despair and that are making you feel hopeless are doing so because you're putting your faith in yourself. You're hopeless because you're trusting your ability to overcome. You're hopeless because you can't see how it could possibly work out with your eyes. You're hopeless because in your mind, there's no possible way it could turn out like this. You're hopeless because you're focused on yourself. And if you turned your attention to God and remembered the kind of God that he is, not only is he able, but he wants to. He's not just capable. 
but he's full of love and a great desire for you. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. So like Mary, she says in verse uh, 45, we need to respond like Mary. It says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She believed. It hadn't happened yet, and she believed. The promise wasn't fulfilled yet, and she believed as if it was already done. Her hope was given to her through her belief in God's ability to fulfill his promises. She hadn't seen it yet. And as a matter of fact, the next few months and years of Mary's life would be full of trouble. As soon as she believes the promise, she's got to walk the path. People making fun of her, people rejecting her, people assuming the worst about her. People not believing that this was supernatural. She's got to walk that path, and so do you and I. And the only way that we could possibly do that is through believing that what God says will happen is as good as already done. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And blessed are you and I when we believe that there will be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to us from the Lord. And we have an entire book full of promises from God. I promise you, if you believe this book, you will be full of hope because God is able. So that's the first thing. You got to put your hope in the power of God. The second thing is you need to put your hope in the presence of God. So this is the meat of the sandwich, all right? This is the substance of hope. It just says right here, a simple phrase, you shall call his name Jesus. Like we said, hope is not an idea. Hope is not an outcome. Hope is not a religion. Hope is not a philosophy. Hope is not a way of life. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. Your hope is based on the real life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Your hope is not based on good vibes. Your hope is not based on the universe working itself out. Your hope is not based on theory. Your hope is not abstract. It's not pie in the sky. Your hope is based off something you can know, the real life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think some of the problem is we have placed our hope on things that are not the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The substance of our hope is Jesus, but we've settled for the shadows of other things. The shadow of saying, well, my life will work out how I hoped it would. Now, let me give you a little, a, little, a little information, and those of you who are older already know this. Your life will never work out how you thought it would. There's not a single person on planet Earth whose life worked out how they thought it would. That's not once. It hasn't happened for anybody. Not going to happen for you. So let's stop putting our hope in things like that. Let's say, well, my life's going to go the way I wish it would go. It's not. It's not. So you put your hope there. Good luck. It's not going to work. You're going to be hopeless. My hope is in the fact that I'm going to get into this school or have these kind of outcomes of life or have this kind of success or be in this kind of relationship or have this amount of money or blah, 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 blah. And you're just going to constantly live hopeless. I want to encourage you, for many of you, to trade where you're putting your hope. And some of you, maybe for the very first time, that you've been putting your hope in everything that you can do, and you've been missing out on the substance of hope. That's Jesus. Our hope is in a person, and his name is Jesus. The text here gives us five things about Jesus. It tells us Jesus is going to come, and it gives us five characteristics. So what, who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? How is he the substance of our hope? 
So five things. The first one, it says that he will be great. So it's Jesus is the greatest, okay? This is your first. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the greatest. It says he'll be the greatest. He's the great one. He's the goat, okay? It ain't about Michael or LeBron, it's about Jesus. The goat argument has been solved. He's the greatest of all time. Jesus is the very best. He's the guy who says he will be great. And his greatness is attached to his name. And so you hear the name Tiger, you think greatness at golf. You hear the name Serena, you think greatness at tennis. You hear the name Elon, you think greatness in inventions. And if you hear the name Jesus, you better think greatness of salvation. His name is attached to his ability to save. His name is attached to his ability to make a way where there seems to be no way. His name is attached to his ability to overcome all obstacles. His name is the greatest name. That's why Philippians 2 says he's the name above all names because he's the God above all things. You need to put your hope in something great. Let me tell you something. The reason why your hopes are disappointing you is because you're putting them in places too small and too weak. All the outcomes that you wish could happen with your life is actually a hope too small. Having a healthy body, though it's very important and enjoyable, is a hope too small. Having a restored relationship, a hope too small. Having enough money, a hope too small. Having certain outcomes of success, a hope too small. Too weak, too fragile. Because even if you were to get it, it wouldn't give you what you thought it would. Jesus is the substance of hope because he's the greatest thing you could ever be given. There's nothing like the presence of Jesus. This is why we focus on that so much here to say we're not here to to practice a religion. We're here to know God. I want to know Jesus. I want Jesus to show up in our gatherings. I want to know the tangible presence of Jesus. Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest thing you could ever have. He's the greatest thing that will ever satisfy your heart. Nothing's going to satisfy your heart like Jesus. He's the greatest thing that can give you joy. Nothing will make you happy as Jesus. He's the greatest leader of your life. Nobody's worth following like Jesus. He's the greatest wisdom. Nobody will give you the best uh, wisdom in life like Jesus. He's the greatest. You name it, the things you want in life, the things you hope for in life, and just know Jesus is the greatest of that. Whatever you think will make you happy, Jesus is better than that. Whatever you think will give you wisdom, Jesus is better than that. Whoever you think is worth following, Jesus is better than that. Jesus is the greatest. Nothing compares to Jesus. And if your hope is in him, Jesus loves to give himself to you. See what I'm saying? This is a hope you can have in your hands. Not a hope that you wish for out there. It's a hope that you have. So Jesus is the greatest. He's the goat. That's number one. It says he will be great. The next thing it says here in verse 32 is that he will be called the son of the most high. Just a simple reminder here that Jesus is God. Son of the most high is a reference to God. It's a fulfillment of many prophecies in the Old Testament for the Messiah to come. He's the son of the most high. He is God. He is not a prophet of the most high. He is a son of the most high because he has the likeness of the most high. He is not just speaking on behalf of God. He is speaking as God. Jesus is not just representing God to us. He is God among us. Jesus is God. He's not a helpful guru for my life. He's not just a good teacher for my life. He's simply not just a good prophet or religious leader. He is God. And Jesus did not become the son of God. It says he was called the son of God. That is his name. That has been his name forever. 
Jesus is God. And therefore, as being God, he is the only hope for our life and our soul. Jesus is God, not just another way, not just another idea, not just another man, but he is God, which now at that point separates him from all other people. So you're not gonna get from Muhammad what you're gonna get from Jesus. You're not gonna get from Buddha what you're gonna get from Jesus. You're not gonna get from atheism what you're gonna get from Jesus. You're not gonna get from any religious leader or president what you're gonna get from Jesus. Stop looking to other people for what you can only get from Jesus. You're not gonna get from your spouse what you can get from Jesus. You're not gonna get from a friend what you can get from Jesus. Stop looking to someone else. Only God can fulfill you and Jesus is God. That's the second thing. It says he will be called the son of the most high. What's the third description? It says he will be given the throne of his father, David. This is very important in terms of understanding the Bible and what's happening. So this one is Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the savior. It's the idea that he's the promised Messiah. In 2 Samuel chapter seven, verses 12 through 16, you can just write that reference down and read it. Uh, David has a throne and God promises that eventually the Messiah will come from his throne, that there will be a leader who comes, who rules on the throne of David as the leader of Israel, who's going to do so perfectly. The idea being that even where the greatest leader like David fails, Jesus still succeeds. That eventually there will come a Messiah who's perfect in everything that he is, who never makes a mistake, who never sins or does wrong, and who also succeeds in actually saving his people. Where every leader had failed prior, Jesus will succeed. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the Savior. This is why Luke 2.11 says, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ our Lord. There's a connection between David the coming one who will be the savior. And now the savior is not just an idea anymore. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the savior. Jesus does everything that's needed for us to be saved. This may be simple to remind you of, but we are not the saviors and neither do we join Jesus in the work of saving us. We do not add anything to the work of Jesus. This is why when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, not it has begun. Jesus is the savior. He's not asking for you to add anything on top of that. Nor are you able. He's not asking you to say, well, you have to go to church enough and you have to do this and you have to pray this many things and you have to meet with this many people and you have to live this certain way. No, 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 no. Jesus is the savior. We are the recipients of salvation. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And then the way you get saved is to say, I believe. Jesus is the savior. And therefore, we must put all our hope in him. This is what I want to encourage you, especially those of you who might call yourself religious, but you're still doing certain practices as if you had to do them to be saved. And I want to encourage you to stop putting some of your hope in Jesus and put all of your hope in Jesus. You you confess Jesus as Lord, but you're still missing the point. It's to say it's never been about you or about what you can do. You cannot save yourself by doing anything. And so instead of putting some of your hope in Jesus and then some of your hope in your ability to keep it up, stop that and put all of your hope in Jesus. Put all of your hope in Jesus and zero hope in your ability to save yourself or keep yourself saved. The whole point of this truth of the grace of God is that God comes. He comes in Christmas. He pursues us. He dies on a cross and rises again. He sends the gospel out into the world. See, God's doing all the things. And then we hear the gospel and we just simply respond to the gospel with belief and trust. 
by putting all of our hope in Jesus. And some of you, this is the, the, the problem with your life is that you've settled for some of your hope being in Jesus. And you need to move all your hope to being in Jesus. And for some of you, that means trusting in him for the very first time as savior. And for some of you, that means a reminder that you ought not to trust yourself at any level to bring about the salvation that you need. Now, obviously, does the life that you live matter? Of course it does. That's a testimony to whether you actually know God or not. So you certainly can't just do whatever you want. We know that. But the idea and the truth from the scriptures is that the way to be saved is to put all your hope in Jesus. And that is the only way. Number four, Jesus is the king. It says he will reign over the house of Jacob. So like I said before with the throne of David, he's the long awaited king. He's the leader we always needed. He's the perfect one. And we keep looking for these things and leaders of the world will never get them. They'll always be flawed. And Jesus is the perfect leader. He's the king that was waiting, that Israel was waiting for. And then last one here, the fifth description, it says Jesus is forever. The verse here says his kingdom will never end. So Jesus is forever. Isaiah 9, 7 says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David over his kingdom. See, these connections are being made to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, I want you to see how important this is for your life, for your hope. The fact that Jesus, the substance of your hope will last forever. Listen, if you knew all the money that you ever needed would be available to you for the rest of your life, I think that might increase your level of hope. If you just knew, guarantee all the money you needed would last forever. How about if you knew that your body would be in great health for a very long time? I think that would probably give you some hope. How about if you knew that your marriage would last your whole life and your kids would be well and they would grow up and be strong and healthy and love God your whole life? If all these things about your family you knew would go well for as long as you live, I think that would give you some hope. Hope is attached to often how long we think things will last. And I want to tell you something that although we don't know any of those things will go the way that we wish we could, we have something more sure and more guaranteed and that the hope that we have in Jesus will last forever. It won't fade. It won't go away. It won't deteriorate. It won't get worse. It won't leave. It will last forever. So as soon as you put your hope in Jesus and as soon as you keep following that path, your hope only increases over time. Because your knowledge of Jesus increases because the goodness of Jesus is revealed to you more. You'll never get less of what you need. Jesus lasts forever. His hope and his promises last forever. And when you put your hope in Jesus alone, then your hope will never end. And that is a great encouragement to your life. Can you, you can probably think of a time where you lost a connection to something that was like cool or specific just because the person who worked there didn't work there anymore. How many times have you been like, you had access to something because you had a friend and then either you don't have that friend no more or they don't work there no more. Those two options. And now you don't have access to that thing anymore. And that can be kind of disappointing. Well, we feel like that often in life is that we lose access to certain privileges in life because we lose access to certain people or those people lose access to the thing that we want. But I want you to know that will never be true with Jesus. You cannot lose your access to Jesus. When he saves you, that is settled. And Jesus will never lose his own access to hope, peace, joy, and purpose. Jesus will never run out of them, nor will he get kicked out of his ability to provide them for you. When you put your hope in Jesus, that is the only place where you can have a hope that lasts. Every other hope you could possibly consider will fade away, deteriorate, or leave. 
even good ones, even good people that help you, those people are going to die. The only hope you could possibly have that will last forever is in Jesus. So put your hope in him. So he's the substance. Hope is a person, not an idea. The third thing here and the final thing here, I want to invite the band to come up as we close this out, is your hope needs to be in the word of God. So your hope is in the power of God. Nothing's impossible with God. Your hope is in the presence of God. You shall call his name Jesus. And your hope is in the word of God. Mary's response is so crucial to us right now as we respond. She says, after she hears this from God, she says, let it be to me according to your word. And I want you to know that is the happiest, most secure, confident, and peaceful place to be. If you can just say to God, let it be to me according to your word. And I want to leave all my confusion, all my despair, all my struggle, all my hopelessness. I leave it at that place because I trust you to do what you said you're going to do. To put your hope in God's word. You cannot live a life of hope. Let me tell you, if you do not live a life in God's word. I want to encourage you this morning on a practical day-to-day basis that if you neglect the word of God, you neglect the hope that you want for your soul. You cannot increase in hope without increasing in knowledge of God. And the word is the place where you're going to grow in your hope on a day-to-day basis. As I said earlier, the way we understand this is that hope comes with trust. The more I trust something, the more I can put my hope in it, the more I can put my leverage on it. You know, if you feel like the chair is unstable, you're gonna sit down very cautiously. But if you're sure that you can trust where you're sitting, you're going to give your whole weight to it. And I think sometimes that's how we treat God is because we don't know him as well as we should. We're a little cautious to give our whole weight to him. Say, is he really able? Does he really love me? Is he really involved in the details of my life? Does he really care about the outcomes of certain things? Can he really satisfy my soul? Can he really fill me with joy? Can he really lead and guide my life? Can he? And because sometimes we lack the knowledge of God's word or we're not giving ourselves to being reminded about what he says to us, we lose trust. And when we lose trust, we lose confidence and we don't put the full weight of our lives on him. And then we live nervous, unsure, unsteady, not knowing where to sit, trying to hold ourselves up. You're basically doing wall sits all day, you know? This is very uncomfortable. And I wanna encourage you this morning that you can fully and completely trust God. If he loved you enough to come down, leave heaven, to become a man, to die on a cross and rise from the dead, if he loved you enough to do that, and if he was powerful enough to complete it, does he not love you enough to care for you now? And is he not able to do what is needed in your life? God will always be full of love for you. He's proven it at the cross. And God will always be fully capable of providing you exactly what you need. He's proven it in the resurrection. And if you put your hope in the word of God and his character and his power, and you just simply say today, let it be to me according to your word, 
you will find that you are full of hope as you leave from this place. I wanna share one last verse with you. Psalm 25, three says, no one who puts their hope in the Lord will ever be put to shame. You know what that means? That means that nobody will regret trusting God. Nobody will look back on their life and say, I wish I'd have trusted myself a little more. No. But nobody will look back on their life and say, I wish I'd have trusted this other thing. No, no, no. But wherever it is that you trust God, when you look back on it sometime in life, you'll look back and say, God was faithful. You will never regret putting your hope in God. To those of you who are here for the very first time, you need to do that today. I want to encourage you. The Lord's pressing in on your heart. He's calling you to himself to believe him. You will never regret putting your hope in God. And to those of you who need to remember that and live that out, remember today, you'll never regret putting your hope in God. Let me pray and we're going to respond to God now. I want you to consider in your life where you can, where you need to put your hope back in Jesus. Remember God's power to you, how he is able. Remember his great love for you. Remember his character. Maybe your hope is in something else other than Jesus. I wanna ask you to make that practical in your life today, to put your hope in God in the places where it is not. And so Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would fill us with hope. We thank you, Lord, that the offer on the table that you want us to walk in this Christmas is hope. That you have purchased our hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that we can live with full hope on a daily basis because of your word. I pray, Lord, by the work of your spirit, that in the places where there is hopelessness, you would fill it with hope. In the places where there is despair, that you would fill it with anticipation. In the places where there is brokenness, that you would fill it with restoration, Lord. I pray that you would minister to us according to our need this morning. We love you so much. We thank you for what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's respond.